1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 7 is our text this morning. I'm not going to quiz you again, but I want you to remember our theme through 1 Peter, which is fighting as victors. That theme is going to make its way into almost every lesson just because it's, it's really what Peter is trying to draw out. So the lesson, the title of our lesson today, as you can see on the screen, is The Beauty, Value, and Confidence of Godly Wives. This is a really important uh, sermon today. I pray that the Lord would bless us today for your sake. We need to remember where we came, we're coming from. First Peter chapter 2, we talked about submission. Submission to authority figures for Christ's sake. And that was a really important thing to learn as well, that we have authority figures that God has placed over us that we need to submit to for Christ's sake. And sometimes those authority figures are just and fair, and sometimes they're not. And Peter said we need to submit to them, even the harsh ones. So he's coming out of that talk. He's coming out of that discussion right into this one today. And so I want, to, I want you to join me as we read the first seven verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. This is what it says. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The beauty, value, and confidence of godly wives is the lesson today. Did you ever undervalue something or someone? Consider that question. Did you ever undervalue something or someone? A little bit of a story. When I was 16, I got my driver's license, which was a good thing. I was excited to start driving, but you know what you need in order to drive, you need a car. My parents had a car, they had a minivan, but I wanted a car, right? We wanted a car, the kids wanted their own car that we could use for our purposes, not just for errands, but also freedom, driving around, driving with our friends and things like that. So our parents decided to eventually get us a car. But these cars that they got us were, that's a very loose term I would probably say, they moved. You would put the key in the ignition and the thing would move. Very cheap, very old. I know now why you do it, because I have kids. I would go, yeah, I would do the exact same thing. <laughs> but this first car that we got was a 1986 GMC Jimmy. I went to Abington Heights, which is a pretty rich, well-off school. And my friends had Beamers, Audis, Corvettes. Todd had a Jimmy. <laughs> a 1986 Jimmy. Do you know what the top song was in 1986? Take My Breath Away, which was fitting because this car had no muffler. <laughs> and the fumes would seep into the car. It also, because it had no muffler, it was very, very loud and not the good on purpose loud. That kind of loud that would turn heads where people would go, really? That thing? Who's in that car? A walker. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it also had a door that wouldn't shut. Uh, the passenger door, for some reason, when you would shut it, it just wouldn't shut, sometimes. So I remember dropping my brother off at his school, and Travis, not being mindful of the door, slammed the door and walked away. But the door swung way back open. 
And I was right in front of his school, and I didn't want to get out and have this embarrassing scene of me trying to shut the door. And so you know what I did, which was much less embarrassing? Lean over, hold the door while I drive, like this, having one eye above the, above the wheel. Go, thanks, Trav, appreciate it. It also had a smell. This car had a smell. And maybe you're thinking, well, it's a 1986 GMC Jimmy. It's going to have some sort of smell, but it had, a, it had a stench. And for a while, it's like, ah, you know, what is that? Every now and then, it would be worse. And I remember one day going, man, that's really bad. What is that smell? So you know what I had to do? I had to search. I had to hunt. <laughs> I found the culprit. Under my seat was a bag of chicken. <laughs> Was it from 1986? No one knows. But the bag of chicken was removed, and it lingered. It lingered. It was there for another week or so before the smell dissipated a little bit. It also only held $5 of gas. If you tried to put any more than $5 of gas, it would leak out the rest. So I remember trying to put $10 of gas in. It would leak out five of that. So I was basically at the gas station every single day. Going, another five, Todd? Yes, yes, another five, please. <laughs> this car was interesting. It also, I think I told you this at one point, it always had water in the cup holder, no matter what I did. And sometimes it didn't even rain. I couldn't explain it. There was always water in the cup holder. You know what, guys? I hated that car. I hated it. I did not value that car. I was so embarrassed by that car. But... I had to go to the shop one day. We had to get something fixed. It wasn't the big things because it came back with no muffler somehow. But it had to go into the shop, which means I didn't have my car for a few days or something like that. And at that point, I started to value the car a little more because I realized having a car, even a 1986 GMC Jimmy, is better than having no car. Because no car meant I either wait to use my parents' van or I just don't go anywhere. So the car came back. And I had to change my perspective on that car, going, okay, it's, I can see the value of this car now. So I, I started to change my perspective. Remember that water that was in the cup holder? I got a goldfish for it. <laughs> I mean, there's always water in there no matter what I did. So I got a goldfish, and I named him Jimmy. And Jimmy was dead three days later. It also had a CB radio in this car, which was pretty sweet. I made a lot of trucker pals. We lived right next to the highway, and so I had an alias. And I would talk to truckers from time to time going, oh, Breaker Breaker 1-9, what's a smoking report there on the highway? Where, where's a good place to get some jumpy juice? And uh, that was a lot of fun. Made a lot of trucker pals. Well, my alias did, Slappy White. Made a lot of <laughs> trucker pals. But that was pretty cool to have a truck with a CB radio. Uh, and because it had no muffler, had changing my perspective on the value of this car, it was great for pranks. And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, my friend and I would drive in this truck, and we'd find a jogger, a runner on the side of the road, and I, we would coast by that jogger, and he wouldn't hear us coming. But as soon as I got near that jogger, guess what I did? I slammed on the gas, and that thing roared. So much so, a guy dove into the bushes. That was awesome. So the car started to get more cool, you know? Had a lot of cool things to it, and guess what, honestly? One day I got really hungry while driving, and guess what I wish I would have had? A bag of chicken. Did you ever undervalue something? Well, putting the silliness aside, we're going to talk about how we need to value something. That is really important, so I, I don't want to lessen the mood here today, but 
I want to talk about wives and I want to talk about women, not because I want to, but because the text brings it up. And I want to see if we can start valuing something in someone's role that maybe we haven't, maybe our generation hasn't quite as they should. So I believe one of the greatest tragedies of our culture is the undervaluing and underappreciation of women and wives. I really do. I believe we have taught ourselves or listened to the lies of the devil that if women aren't the same as men, then they're less valuable than men. And that is a true tragedy. Or that if women are simply trophies for the eye, and all we value is their outward appearance, their only valuable asset is their outward beauty. That is a true tragedy. I wish I could apologize today on the behalf of all men. I really do. Because we, generally speaking, not pointing out anyone in this room, we men have been wrong for generations about women and wives. I believe we have so mistreated our women and our wives and been so harsh towards them for not being like us that we have hurt what is the best gift ever given to man on this earth, our wives. And I believe the primary problem today, the primary problem is not the women who are trying to be like men in order to receive the same fair treatment in this world. I believe the primary problem is the men who have undervalued women to such a degree that women feel the need to take on a role that was never designed for them, being like men. Instead of loving, embracing the role that God has specifically designed for them, a role of beauty and strength that man cannot replace and cannot do without. So I want to seek to honor wives today. I do. I want to seek to honor wives and women as well. And I want to challenge both the men and the women here to change our perspective on the value of the role of the wife. Because the role of the wife is truly a beautiful thing. And we're going to get back to this. My main goal today is to preach the text. To preach the text, to see what Peter has for us. But my secondary goal, which I think the text puts forward, is to help us begin valuing wives and women. So that families, churches, and this nation will become strong and beautiful like our Lord intended it to be. Peter says this, starting off the passage, Likewise, wives. In order to understand where he's going to come, where he's going to go to, is we have to understand where he came from, where he said to us in the past chapter, submit to your masters, even the harsh ones, for Christ's sake. And we talked about the word submission, because it said be subject for the Lord's sake. It said servants, be subject. And this idea of being subject is submission to an authority figure. And Peter is going to use the same arguments and reasons and what he wants to say to wives that he just did towards all of us when seeking to be subject to the authority figures God has placed in our lives. So he says this phrase, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. This is a very specific passage. I know that. It's typical. It's easy. If this is not one of you, if you are not a wife or a husband today, to kind of turn off and go, oh, it's not for me. But I believe that if you are one day want to be a wife or a husband, this is incredibly important. Obviously, if you are a wife and a husband, this is incredibly important. But there's also many things to glean from this passage, even if you are not. So I pray that you would pay attention to this today. So the idea of being subject, like we said, is submission. Submission to an authority figures in our lives. And we have to understand, husbands are in the position of authority over their wives. They are. Because God designed it that way. God designed it that way. I want to take your eyes 
and look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. I believe it's going to be on the screen. And I want you to listen to what Paul says regarding wives. He says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So you see that there, right? It's clear. Husbands are in the position of authority over their wives. And we have roles. We have roles in the marriage. There is a role for the husband. There is a role for the wife. And these roles are incredibly important because they represent something eternal. The roles of husbands and wives represent Christ's relationship with his church. That's why marriage was instituted. That's why marriage was created, to represent, to reflect Jesus Christ and his relationship with his church. So each person has a role. And God has designed these roles to represent him. It's a reflection of him and his bride. And if you know anything about scripture, Jesus' bride is the church, us. People who have been redeemed, people who celebrate communion because they've been healed by his wounds. So God designed these roles for the, on earth for the families, and these roles are important because they represent something that is eternal in the kingdom of God. So according to the text, men are in the special privilege and huge responsibility to represent Jesus in the family. Now that's a special privilege, isn't it? But that's also an enormous responsibility for the husbands to represent Jesus in the family. Even reading that, even thinking about that right now, I understand the weight of that. I am to represent Christ in my family to my wife. Because if you kept reading in Ephesians chapter 5, the next verse, it says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. That is an enormous love, isn't it? Husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. And women are in the special privilege to represent Christ's church in the family. So there's the roles, the husband representing Christ and the wife representing Christ's church. Because we call Christ church, we find it in scripture, the bride of Christ. And Jesus is the bridegroom. So that's what these roles are representing. Marriage is a shadow, earthly marriage is a shadow of an eternal relationship. We don't need earthly marriage in heaven. It's an earthly institution because in heaven we have the reality of the shadow. We don't need the shadow any longer because we have the eternal relationship with the bridegroom, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the husband in the position of Christ in the family is to lead with love, tenderness, and strength. Not domineering. Not harsh. Not selfishly. And this lesson was preached to me this week as a husband. More than you guys will probably get, I got a lot from this passage this week. The husband is to lead with love, tenderness, and strength. The wife is to joyfully submit to the husband's direction and decision-making so that his job to lead like Christ is that much easier. Because that's a hard role, isn't it? That's a hard role to represent Christ in the church. But if we will listen and if we will value our roles, then we will do what God has called us to do and the marriage will be strong. And when wives submit to their husband, it is making the husband's job that much easier. And these roles are crucial. They're crucial to us glorifying God 
If we mix up these rules or pervert these rules, we can't do what God designed us to do. And you have to remember, the earthly marriage is a shadow of an eternal reality and relationship that one day will last forever. The shadow will go away. Earthly marriage will go away. Me and my wife in heaven will not be married, but I will be married in heaven, and so will you, to the Lord, forever. And this marriage institution that we have on earth represents him. And that's a really important thing to know. Peter then gives us a very specific reasons why wives are to submit to their husbands. And the reason deals with an all-too-common problem. Unbelieving husbands. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a cool thing to know? That even if you have an unbelieving husband, they can be won to Christ by the conduct of their wives. And this is an all, uh, a quite common problem in our day and age. Wives who believe in and follow Jesus Christ and husbands who do not. We have a few of those in this church, unfortunately. That's a problem, but it's a common problem in our day and age. And Peter's addressing it, and I believe it was a problem back in this age as well. Saying, if you are married to an unbeliever, here is now your role. Represent Christ anyways. If you are not married, here's a way to make this problem a little bit easier. Don't marry an unbeliever. It says in Scripture, do not be unequally yoked. So if you are already married, stay married. And you can still bless God in that marriage. If you are seeking to become married, marry a believer. Because it will be much easier going the same direction, having two working together. And that's really what we're going to talk about for the rest, is when the two work together and are unified for the same goal. But we need to talk about this unbelieving husband part because this is important. Peter says that wives are to submit to and be subject to their husbands. And it sounds like that by so doing, women would lose their voice, lose their rights, lose their one means by which they could direct the husband towards Jesus. Because Peter says, do it by your conduct. Do it by your conduct. Peter is saying, unbelieving husbands may be one without a word, without a word, voiceless, by the conduct of their wives, the pure conduct of submission and respect towards their husbands. That's a powerful testimony. If you are a wife who has an unbelieving husband, you can represent Christ by your pure conduct and your submission. Consider this, wives. Your unbelieving husbands may clearly see Jesus through your submission and your respect of them. And as we've just talked about, Jesus is worthy of this. He is. He is worthy for your husbands to see a picture of Christ through your conduct. See, this is opposite of the world, though. The, the world would say, stand up for your rights, get yours, make sure that you're treated fairly. And Peter is saying, God is saying, more importantly, embrace your role. Submit even to the husband that doesn't love the Lord so that he may be one without a word by the conduct of his wife. In other words, submission is the best way to obey God, and it's an excellent way to display Christ Jesus to your unbelieving husband if you have one. And I don't think he's commanding wives to not speak a testimony about Jesus. That's powerful too. But if the spoken testimony is teamed with a testimony of pure conduct, 
and submission, that is more powerful than words are alone. If you say to your unbelieving husband, husband, you should follow Jesus. Husband, you should become a Christian. Husband, Jesus is better than anything you have. That's powerful. But if it's teamed and matched with conduct that is pure and loving and respectful and submissive, that is a very powerful testimony. And that's what Peter is trying to draw out. That if you have an unbelieving husband as a wife, your submission and your pure conduct can win him to the Lord. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that amazing to know? That submission is a powerful testimony of Jesus, one of great confidence and security in God. Or you could say it this way, it's proof of victory. It is proof of victory in Christ when the wives submit to their husbands anyways, regardless of them following the Lord, regardless of them loving your Christian lifestyle. If you show pure conduct and submission, it is a proof of victory in Jesus Christ. That is a confident and bold testimony. And I want you to understand that today, if you are in that situation, that you can represent Jesus anyways. It doesn't have to be believer to believer. An unbelieving wife can still submit and still show Christ to her husband. But then Peter goes from potentially winning your husbands to the Lord by your submission to this idea of what true beauty looks like in women and wives. Because he says this in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, which, excuse me, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This idea of adorning means to beautify, to decorate, to enhance, something that you would probably use makeup for. And again, I don't think he's saying makeup is wrong or external adorning is wrong, I believe he's saying there's something more important. The inward adorning, the hidden person of the heart. And really what I think Peter's trying to do is trying to help us redefine beauty in women and wives. Redefine it. Because we live in a culture that defines beauty by the outward appearance, doesn't it? That's how they define beauty. If you're outwardly beautiful, you're beautiful. And if you're not, you're not. But that's really unfair. That's not the way God designed it because we don't have a role in what we look like on the outward, do we? God designed us. God created us. We look like what we look like. I think we would all have one thing that we wish we could change about our outward appearance, at least one, right? But we don't get that role. God didn't design that for us. He made us the way he made us. And so it's incredibly unfair for us to say to a woman or a wife, your value is your outward beauty. If you have it, you're valuable. If you don't have it, you're not valuable. Because we have very little role over our outward beauty. And even the most beautiful person outwardly is going to lose that beauty with age or death, aren't they? An example of that is flowers. I get my wife flowers from time to time. When I buy flowers, generally speaking, they're glorious. They're at their peak. They're amazing things to put on the table and take pictures of. And she makes little backgrounds for her phone with the, with the flowers I get. But what happens? Only a few days go by, and they droop, and they wilt, and they die. And the flowers have to be thrown away. Because that's what happens with outward beauty. Outward beauty lasts for a moment, even if you have it. And then it goes away. God himself is concerned with a better beauty, the beauty of the soul. Because the soul lives on. The body does not. You can see this in Hollywood if you pay attention. 
Hollywood actors and actresses and people in the music industry and things like that, when they have beauty, they're glorified, right? They're put in commercials, they get all the roles, and then 20, 30 years go by, and no one's calling anymore. And they have to go out and get the most expensive wrinkle cream and plastic surgery and hair dye, et cetera, et cetera, so that their beauty can linger a little bit. So that people will still call them and say, hey, you're valuable. We want you for our commercials. We want you for our role. But that's really unfair to say your beauty is only your outward beauty. Because God says it's your soul that is beautiful. It is your soul that is I am concerned with. And you have a role in your inward beauty, wives. And so do men. You have a role in your inward beauty. You have a chance to increase that beauty forever. But your outward beauty, even if you do have a role, it's a small role. And even if you invest in that small role, it's not going to last. So Peter says that women who concern themselves primarily with outward adorning are investing in a perishable beauty. A beauty that will fade, a beauty that will go away. It's not going to matter in eternity how beautiful you were outwardly on the earth. And Colossians, we went through the book of Colossians a couple books ago, and that book taught us that, it didn't it? That earthly treasures really aren't that valuable because they only last on the earth. As soon as you go to heaven, earthly treasures go away, and so does outward beauty. But inward beauty, we have a chance to increase it forever. Those concerned with a hidden person of the heart understand there is a beauty that lives on to, into eternity one that will never perish. And this sort of beauty is worthy of real investment. What does that phrase mean, the hidden person of the heart? Well, it's hard to see. At least initially, it's hard to see. No one will walk into a bank or into a store and you won't turn any heads with your inward beauty because it takes a little while to know. It takes a little while to discover. But it's the hidden person of the heart. Once you discover that beauty, that beauty is seen and known. Do you ever know someone who is inwardly beautiful? Have you ever known someone who stood out because of their inward beauty? My wife is that kind of person. My wife is outwardly beautiful, but she's also, way much more importantly, inwardly beautiful. And the more I got to know my wife at the beginning, the more I realized she had a hidden person of the heart who was beautiful. And that beauty has increased since then. My sister is also that type of person. Many of you guys know Christy. Christy, when you get to know her, is one of the most inwardly beautiful people you can know. Isn't she? As soon as you get to know Christy, you want to be around her more because she's inwardly beautiful. She has a hidden person of the heart that is beautiful and increasing. And so we need to retrain our minds. We need to retrain our minds on what true beauty is because the more you give to the hidden person of the heart, the more that beauty lives on into eternity. And that is a good thing to invest in something that can never go away. So Peter says, a gentle and quiet spirit is what truly beautifies a woman. And I don't think necessarily he's saying women shouldn't talk. I think what he's saying is you don't have to get your way. You don't have to be heard. You are concerned with your role, with embracing your role as a wife. You are more concerned with the inward, hidden person of the heart. A gentle and quiet spirit is what beautifies a woman. And he's going to give us an example of what that looked like here in a minute. And I don't think the outward adornment is necessarily wrong. I don't think he's saying, listen, if you put anything in your hair or wear any makeup, then you are against Scripture. I don't think that's what he's saying. What I think he's saying is it's 
a poor version of beauty. A poor version of beauty. It's a bad investment of your life to concern yourselves primarily with the outward adorning. And men, we have to understand, it and understand this as well because we have just learned that we are the leaders of the home. And if we convince our wives that beauty is an outward thing, then I think we're hurting our wives because we're getting, to, getting them to focus on a beauty that can only fail them and fail us. I don't think it's loving to get our wives to invest in something they are guaranteed to lose. I think that's harsh. I think it's unloving. It's probably even close to abuse to say to your wife, wife, you are only beautiful because of your outward beauty. Work on that and you'll be valuable. Lose that and you lose your value. I think that's incredibly harsh. And if, if and when your, the wife's beauty fades on the outward, do they also lose their value? Do you see that? Do you see how problematic that is? That if we say about wives and women, your only asset is your outward beauty, and then that beauty fades and goes away, so does their value. And that is nothing God wants for women and for wives. So Peter brings up this prime example of what he speaks of. He doesn't leave us hanging. Listen to what he says in verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. So notice that. They used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. So they're concerned with something that's different than the outward. And then he says in verse 6, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Peter gives us an example, a prime example of someone who concerned herself with the hidden person of the heart. Her name is Sarah, and Sarah was the wife of Abraham. And Sarah left a legacy upon this earth, didn't she? If you read scripture, you're going to find Sarah's name several times, including the faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. Sarah is mentioned. And Sarah is a prime example of what Peter is talking about. Because Sarah was a truly godly and beautiful woman. She was beautifully outward. We know that. If you read that in the Old Testament, you could see that actually got her and Abraham into a couple tricky situations because she was so beautiful on the outward. But Sarah wasn't concerned with her outward beauty. Sarah embraced her role as Abraham's wife and helpmate and submitted to her husband to such a degree that she called him Lord, lowercase Lord, which is a term for master. Think about that. Sarah made that choice to embrace her role to such a degree that she called Abraham master, Lord, and submitted to him as such. That is a woman who is truly embracing her role towards her husband. And this is the example. And I don't think calling Abraham Lord was commanded by God or by Abraham. I think it was Sarah embracing her inward beauty to such a degree that she submitted to Abraham as a way to honor her Lord and her husband. And in this way, Sarah became a true picture of beauty and godly confidence, a true picture of strength and security. You could even say about this about Sarah, she was the original beauty queen, inwardly, which is the best beauty. Sarah was beautiful, and her legacy lived on beyond the grave when people saw Sarah, they saw, a great, uh, they saw a woman of great beauty and inward confidence. She didn't have to act like a man. 
She didn't have to usurp her husband's authority in order to find value. Her value was in her Lord and her God-given role of representing Christ's church in the family. Sarah was oozing with confidence and security. And people who knew Sarah would have seen this as clear as anything. Because Sarah knew her worth in the eyes of God. And that's all that mattered. Sarah knew what she was before God, and that's all that mattered. If God says I'm beautiful, that's all I care about. If man and the world say I'm not beautiful, but God says I am beautiful, that's all that mattered to Sarah. And Peter goes so far as to say that if and when wives and women adorn themselves inwardly like Sarah, you are her descendants. Descendants. It's as, it's as if Sarah is your great-great-great-great-grandmother and your descendants of God's promises and that you don't fear anything that is frightening because you have such confidence, like Sarah did, in your God and that his commandments are life-giving. When God gives us something like this to obey, and honestly, something like this is a little hard to swallow, isn't it? It's like, I don't know if I really agree with that. I don't really know if I want to hear that. But God's commandments are life-giving. When we listen to and obey the word of God, we find life forever. In other words, wives' submission and obedience to their husbands is true proof that they belong to and are secured by God himself. Who was Jesus when he was upon this earth? Was he someone who fought for power? Was he someone who had to be heard all the time? Was he someone who had to get in the limelight? No. Jesus was meek, wasn't he? He was a meek person. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father every ounce of the day. And he's an example of what we're talking about as well. Because Jesus' meekness and submission was his power. When you saw Jesus, you saw confidence. You saw someone who submitted himself to the Father, and you saw someone who was a victor, and he didn't need man's pats on the back. Jesus had power. Sarah had power. Sarah had confidence. And Peter's telling us today, wives, be like Sarah. Be like Sarah. She was a victor, and she knew it. And she lived like it. Because she embraced her role. She didn't have to act like a man. She didn't have to usurp her husband in order to receive fair treatment. She said, this is what I am before God. This is what God demands and expects of me. This is what I'm going to do. And she called Abraham Lord. Verse 7, the husbands don't get out of this, which is good to know. He says to the husbands, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, we need to pay attention and learn this lesson about true beauty and value in wives and women. I need to learn this as well and calibrate our minds to Scripture because husbands are supposed to help their wives by being understanding towards them and honoring them as the weaker vessel. Husbands are the leaders of the home. We should not be ridiculing our wives. We should not be demeaning towards our wives. We should not be selfish in our role, but we should seek and strive to help our wives. It is our job as husbands to lead our wives in their soul beautification process. 
That is the role of the husband, to help her increase her inward beauty, seeking to beautify them on the inward sake, not for our sake, but for the Lord's sake and for their sake. Our role as husbands is to help our wives by leading with love. Love. Peter uses this phrase, weaker vessel. And I think by reading this, some of us want to recoil at this passage. Because it sounds like Peter is using a term that might be demeaning or an insult to women and decreasing their value. But Peter's doing the exact opposite. He's seeking for husbands and wives to love the special God-given role of wives. Because when someone is weaker, they by design need help from someone stronger in order to flourish. You and I in this culture is the one who came up with the equation that weakness equals lesser value. God did not come up with that equation. So when we hear weakness, we immediately go, oh, that's an insult. He's saying they're less valuable. No, that is not God's equation. That is our equation. And that equation has to be changed. We have to calibrate our minds to what God thinks about weakness. Christ would never demean his church, which wives represent. You know that, right? Why would, why would Christ demean his own bride? He wouldn't. Christ would not do that. And wives represent Christ's church. And the church is the weaker vessel compared to Christ, aren't we? We're the weaker ones. Jesus is the stronger one. And he's not demeaning us by saying that. He's just saying that's what it is. Because his church need his help in order to flourish. Husbands were made stronger to represent Christ, and wives were made weaker to represent the church. Does that make sense? That's how the roles were designed. The husband is going to represent Christ. He needs to be stronger. The wife is going to represent the church. She needs to be weaker. I want you to listen to this quote I found from Matthew Henry, and I've loved this quote for years. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Isn't that a great quote? This is all about what our roles represent today. What do these roles represent? I said we would get back to this, but the primary problem in our day and age, I believe, is the men, because the men are the leaders. And if the institution of the family is weak, we must go to the leaders, the men, and ask, why is this? As men, we must change our perspective on the value of women and help our wives change theirs as well, because wives are a precious gift to husbands. And I will say that confidently today. And this idea of weaker vessel does not mean lesser or worse. Weaker vessel just means weaker. It actually just means weaker, less God-given natural strength, period. That's what it means. We shouldn't read into that anymore to go, oh, they're less valuable. No, they're not. They're just weaker. And Peter commands husbands to show honor to their wife as the weaker vessel. The value for men and women is the same in the eyes of God, and that's all that matters. But one was created stronger to help the other who was created weaker. We have examples of this in our society. Children are that same way. 
Aren't children weaker than adults? Are they less valuable than adults? They better not be. They're not in God's eyes. Because weaker does not mean less valuable. It just means they need help from someone stronger in order to flourish. Isn't that why children have parents? So that our strength can help them flourish. Even inanimate objects like gold. Gold is a soft, weak metal. But its beauty is obvious. Its value is obvious because of the beauty of gold. And Peter says, show honor to the wife as a weaker vessel. This word vessel can also mean ship. I'm not sure that's exactly what Peter intended, but the idea of vessel can also mean ship. Well, even with boats, a bigger boat doesn't necessarily mean the best boat for the voyage, does it? If there was some sort of emergency, you would much rather have a speedboat versus a big old cruise liner. So we need to see this idea of weaker as what God intended it to be and not less valuable because that is not God's intent. And I think the fault is ours if we equate weaker with less valuable. Here's another example of this. You guys have heard of the women and children first policy when it's dealing with actual vessels, with ships who are in an emergency situation and the boat is going down, right? We've heard of that, women and children first policy. We have this unwritten rule that in a survival situation, the strong should look out for the weak. Men are the naturally stronger, and the women and the children need more help in order to survive. And usually in a situation like that, like think about the Titanic, there were only a few lifeboats, right? So who most of all got those lifeboats? The women and the children. And I think this is an example of what Peter is saying, that they need more help in order to survive. And if you follow my train here, by seeking to protect our wives and our women, we're honoring them because it proves that we value them. Because I would say confidently, if I was on a ship with my wife and my children and the ship was going down and there were only a few lifeboats, I can confidently say I would want my wife and my children in the boats instead of me. And that would prove that I value them. That would prove their worth in my eyes. And it also proves what Peter is saying, that they need more help in order to flourish. Because in this kind of situation, it's not survival of the fittest, right? If it was survival of the fittest, all the men would get in the lifeboats and leave the women and children to die. But that's not what we do. That's not what even ungodly people do. Women and children first into the lifeboats. And that's an example of what Peter is talking about. Value them, protect them, help them survive, help them flourish, because you were made stronger for that very reason. And Peter wants husbands to value our wives by showing them honor as the weaker vessel, not to make them feel less important, but to prove their value by using our natural God-given strength to help our wives flourish so they can help us, because we need our wives in order to flourish. I am a much better version of myself when I have my wife's help. Men were made stronger for the very purpose of helping their wives, not for selfish purposes or to gloat about the fact that we're stronger. Our strength was given to us for the sake of helping our wives. And by helping them, we honor them and we value them. And when wives embrace their role to help their husbands, both the husbands and the families become stronger. And we all have a better opportunity to glorify and serve God. Because God's system 
and God's rules are best. God's system works. When the husbands are leading with strength and the wives are submitting with strength to their husbands, the family unit becomes doubly strong. And God knows how families can live and thrive and live victoriously. And it's by doing what he's called us to do in our roles. So we have to consider a few things today as we move on here. Let's consider these things today. Because here's the cool thing. When wives embrace their role with strength and confidence and strive to help their husbands, the husbands become doubly strong because they have the help of their wife and natural God-given strength. And they have a better opportunity to serve Christ and glorify God. And it grows exponentially. If we don't have the help of our wives, we are worse. We are. If my wife is not helping me, I am a worse version of myself than when Janine is submitting to me and is helping me. Because there's strength in numbers, especially when those numbers are unified. When both husbands and wives are valuing each other's roles, no one loses. And everyone wins. Husbands and wives, according to the scripture, are one flesh, one team, unified for the same goal, helping each other, not fighting, not bickering, not against, not opposed to each other, but assisting and helping each other. Men have natural strength and leadership abilities given by God. It's nothing to gloat about. We are given strength by God, which allows us to lead When husbands seek after the Lord's strength, they lead their wives and the families and with both natural and supernatural strength. And husbands are not supernatural. We are not superhumans. Husbands are stronger than women, but I will say confidently, husbands need the help of the Lord in order to flourish. You could even say more so because we're the leaders. So the husbands can't lean upon their own strength and find success, can we? The husbands have to lean upon someone stronger, and so do the wives. We lean upon the Lord, the wives lean upon their husbands, and everyone becomes strong that way. Wives who seek out God's strength to submit to their husbands actually empower their husbands to lead even more properly, making the family unit almost indestructible. When the wives are doing their role and embracing their role, and when the husbands are leading with strength and embracing their role, the the family unit is strong and hard to break up because we are victors in Christ. The only way we lose is if we disobey God's roles or we don't seek his strength to obey his roles. So how can this happen? Well, we learn in verse 7, it says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words... When the man is strong in the Lord and embracing his natural role to lead, and the woman is strong in the Lord and embracing her natural role to submit, the entire marriage becomes incredibly strong, doubly strong, and almost impossible for the devil to defeat. Husbands, we must begin to show honor to our wives and help them embrace their God-given role because our wives are our helpmates. And without the help of our wife, we greatly reduce our chances to be victorious. Do you know that? If we don't help our wives and don't show understanding and value to our wives, it's friendly fire. We're hurting ourselves. Why would we help the person sent to help us? Because that's exactly why the wives were sent. Because Adam needed a helpmate. 
So by treating our wives harshly, by showing them the opposite of value, we're actually inflicting harm upon ourselves. If we make it seem as if women need to be men in order to be strong and valuable, we're actually hurting ourselves. And we're making our job that much harder. Because women are most strong, most beautiful, most valuable to this world when they act like women. Because we have enough men. We need strong women embracing being women. That's what the society needs. Peter says this phrase, they are heirs of us with the grace of life. And really all that means is whatever good comes to the husband comes to the wife. Whatever good comes to the wife comes to the husband. We're a team. If I go through something good, so does Janine. If I go through something hard, so does Janine. I need her. She needs me. We need to be unified. So if both husbands and wives are unifying and acting like a team by utilizing our God-given roles, God will bless that family with his strength. He will answer our prayers. Victory will be certain. Isn't that a good thing to know? We win. When we listen to God's plan, when we do it God's way, we win. We flourish. But if husbands lay down on the job, if husbands force their wives to pick up the slack, or force their wives to act like husbands, then the entire structure is weakened, and the destruction of the family unit is almost certain. When we say to God, I'm going to do it my own way, thanks, but no thanks, Lord, I don't agree. I don't agree that this system is going to work. I don't agree that I'm going to be valued this way. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to usurp my husband. I'm going to stand up for my rights. Then everybody hurts. Everybody loses. And the family unit is weakened. A couple applications here. We're going to be done for today. Application number one, to the husbands first. Husbands, we have to begin to love and value the role of our wives Women and wives are strong in their own unique, special way. They're tender, they're compassionate, emotional, merciful, and encouraging by design. And generally speaking, men, we are weak in those areas. We need our wives in order to do our jobs properly. And I can attest confidently today that when my wife is submitting to and supporting me, I am much more equipped to lead my family and this church. This means that I receive strength by my wife embracing her role. And Janine deserves to be honored. Because anything that is happening that is good in this church is a credit to my wife. Because my wife embraces her role as a wife. She's inwardly beautiful. And because she does so, I become stronger. And when I become stronger, the church becomes stronger because I lead the church. It's a credit to my wife. So husbands, we have to begin to love and value our wives. Wives, on the other hand, I want to encourage you today. You are most beautiful when you are bracing your role to represent Christ's church. You're not representing Christ in the family. You're representing his church in the family. And when this happens, your soul increases in beauty, and that beauty is never going away. The outward beauty, on the other hand, is guaranteed to perish. But the wife who trusts in God, who submits to her husband, 
who embraces her role like Sarah and seeks the strength of the Lord to do so, her beauty will last for all of eternity. Sarah is reaping that treasure today. Her outward beauty fade. She died. Her outward beauty did not go with her. But her hidden person of heart is living on into eternity. And her legacy is marked upon this earth because of that beauty. So wives, begin investing in your God-given role today if you're not. That's when you're most strong and most beautiful. And that's when you're most helpful to the family unit. Number three, the husband who recognizes the true beauty in the soul of his wife will understand her value to him and encourage her to strive after her inward beauty for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of the marriage. And God and the guys, men, husbands, should also know that when the Lord sees that, he's going to honor the family. He's going to answer the prayers of that marriage because it truly represents Christ. It truly represents his relationship to the bride, the church. And God is going to honor that family unit. And finally, both the husband and the wife represent the Lord Jesus Christ. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church, which is a very, very big love. The wife is to love and submit to her husband as a picture of the love that Christ Deserves. So even if you're submitting to a husband who is harsh, who doesn't love the Lord, do it for Christ's sake because he does deserve it. Marriage is a shadow and our union with Jesus is the reality. Do it for Christ's sake. Jesus is worthy to have this picture of his love and his relationship with his church to be shown to this world. We, church, are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. Jesus considered us valuable enough to die for. Remember the women and children first policy? You could say Jesus started it. My church first policy. And in that way, Jesus valued us. Let us all embrace our roles for Christ's sake and change our perspective on what true beauty and true value is. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the word of God. We wouldn't know these things otherwise. We would all attempt to guess our own way at how to live correctly and how to do what pleases God, and how to find our rights and success upon this earth. But we would be wrong. And this is one of those passages that helps calibrate our minds to the truth. Help us to listen, Father. These are not my opinions. This is what the Word of God says. And I pray that we would understand this today. And no matter where we are in this earth, we would embrace the role that you've set before us, a role as a husband or a wife, a role as a servant or a master because it all represents you, and one day representing you is all that is going to matter. Did we glorify our Lord? Thank you for this church. Thank you for their willingness to learn and to embrace their roles for the sake of Jesus Christ. We give you all credit and glory for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.